so why do we do what we do? Why do we do this ministry? Why do we have this ministry? Why do we do these, these types of projects? <clears throat> that's kind of that's what I want to talk to you about today as far as my sermon goes. Uh, I'm going to deviate from the, from the standard Advent series sermon. I know I preached on hope and peace the first couple weeks of Advent. Should technically be preaching on, pre on joy today. But I want to deviate from that because of, of, of kind of what our theme is here. That's um, what Chrissy has talked about. And uh, I just want to expand on that. And I want us to understand why we do these things. Yeah, these are all nice things that we do. And there's certainly agencies and people outside of the Christian tradition that does these things. But, uh, but we've got a specific reason that we do the things that we do. And, and that's really what I want to hit on. I want to talk about, you know, the, uh, the food pantry is just, is just really just one of several outreach projects and ministries that we're engaged in here at Bemis. And you guys have probably figured out uh, if you've been here for a while since, since I've been here, that there's um, a couple things that I'm really passionate about. One of them is discipleship or spiritual formation. Uh, Y'all know that I love talking about being created, being transformed, progressing in our lives and in our, in our spiritual walk with Christ into the mind and the heart of Christ. And we do that through all different kind of avenues. We do that through Bible study. We do that through worship. We do it through our life groups. We do it through our, our, our prayer group that's been meeting monthly. All of these things are geared for one thing, and that's growing us into Christ's likeness. The second thing that I have a passion for is outreach. And I believe that God has placed a passion in those two particular areas uh, for a reason. I think he's placed them in my personal life for one, but I also think he's placed them in my life to focus on in my pastoral ministry as well. And it's been that way um, abs absolutely since the beginning, since before the beginning, before I, even, before I even stepped behind the pulpit for the first time. I talk to you guys about discipleship and spiritual formation a lot, but today what I want to talk to you about is this idea of outreach. I want to talk to you uh, maybe more, 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 more specifically or more scripturally accurate uh, term for outreach may just be justice. It may be instead of outreach ministry, maybe a more biblically accurate way of calling these things. Are these, are, are, these are our justice ministries. And we're going to talk about that word justice and we're going to define that word justice here in a second. We've been talking about this idea of justice, by the way, in our Wednesday night Bible study class. We talked about it. We're kind of off the subject now, but we talked about it recently for about three weeks in a row. And we all got a good grounding of what, of what, what does justice mean in the Bible? Because, because, the, because justice in the Bible is a lot different than we tend to think about justice in the world today. And I do want to define that for you in just a minute. Um, but I want you to understand why we do what we do. Why we do what we do in regard to outreach and uh, that's the first thing I want you to understand. The second thing that I want us to understand is these things are not optional for us. And I feel like we've made them optional over years. Not specifically Bemis, but I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of churches have made them an option for us over the years. And they're not an option. They're not in addition to, and they are not an add-on. They are absolutely everything that we are that God has put into our hearts since the absolute beginning of time. These are absolute imperatives that were handed down from God himself. And they're really important to him. Matter of fact, they're extremely important to him. First of all, I want to show you, I want to, I want to tell you a story. And, uh, and y'all can, can come to your own opinions. Y'all can come to your own conclusions about what I'm going to show you here, what I'm going to talk to you about for a second. Y'all can, can do that later. But, but just for a minute, just, just for right now, I want you to uh, take some time seriously think about what I'm about to show you. And what you're about to hear. Rub that first slide, Lorelai. <laughs> no, not that one, that one. There you go. Now, I know this is a very non, 
this is not a clear picture, so you probably, where you're sitting, you can't tell what in the world this is. So I'm going to tell you what this is. This is a, this is a picture that was taken at a large megachurch uh, out in Texas that happens to be part of a, of a very large worldwide denomination. <clears throat> and what you're looking at here is a, is a shot from their, from their Christmas, I can't remember, they called it something, but anyway, their Christmas show. What you're looking at is this performance that they put on, and they've done it for several years in a row now. And these guys up here, <laughs> this guy in the middle, this guy over here on the right, those are drummers. By the way, they're hired drummers. They're not members of the church, <clears throat> but they're drummers, and they're sustained in the air. So they're flying around the air. They have flying angels. They have living animals, and they have a 1,000-member class, 1,000-member cast. Tickets to this spectacular cost anywhere between $19 and $59. Or, if you'd like to get yourself a nice Christmas buffet to go along with it, you can pay an additional $22.50. On a side note, and I probably shouldn't even throw this in, but this is just a side note. This church also happens to be one of the largest churches in that particular denomination, and they have been embroiled in a scandal regarding revolving around sexual abuse for a number of years. A recent report revealed that for decades, that particular denomination and its leaders protected sexual abusers and ministers and mistreated their victims. They also specifically named that this church's pastor, citing that he uh, was quietly dismissive of a staff member who had been accused and was involved in a potential cover-up. <clears throat> of course, they denied it because that's what churches do when this stuff happens. It happens every day, folks. I was part of a church one time where something very similar was going on. The first thing that happened was the church itself denied it until it escalated to the point where they could no longer deny it. But really, that's off, that's off, that's, 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 that, that's off the subject that, I was trying, that, I'm, that I'm getting at. That's just an add-in. That is an add-on addition. So anyway, this, this picture, this story, this video, yeah, and y'all can look it up. Y'all can do a Google search, you know, Blind Drummers Texas, and yeah, they'll pop right up. So when this thing popped up a couple weeks back, people on the Internet took notice, and they started making a com comments, and y'all can, can probably imagine the church started getting a bunch of backlash. You know, they would ask questions like, you know, why, is, why, why, why feed the poor or why help, help the homeless when you can have flying drummers? You know, that's been a that's pretty, pretty common response. Now, here's how the church's pastor responded to the criticism. He said, at our church, we believe that Jesus deserves our absolutely best, especially at Christmas. Now, that's a nice sentiment. And Jesus certainly does deserve our absolute best, but I can't help but wonder if giving Jesus our absolute best includes charging folks up to $80 to watch an entertainment spectacular in our churches. I've heard that phrase used before by other pastors, this, this idea of, well, Jesus deserves our absolute best. I've heard other pastors use that. It's a very convenient and it's a very manipulative way to get people to go along with doing whatever it is you want them to do because who else is going to say no to a pastor who stands up here and says, well, doesn't Jesus deserve our best? Certainly. So manipulative. I also found it very interesting that a church that belongs to a particular denomination that really prides itself in taking, taking Scripture seriously and oftentimes takes script, taking Scripture very literally 
seems to have overlooked this particular scripture I'm going to show you guys this morning, and I'm going to bring it back full circle, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Now, folks, I don't know these people's hearts. I don't live in Texas. I've never been to this church. I've never been to this pastor. I don't know their hearts, and I'm not necessarily trying, and I'm not trying to be their judge. I'm really not. But I tell you all this to make you think about this, what I said in the beginning, what we do and why we do it. What we do and why we do it, both as individuals and churches. And at the end of the day, what is most important to God? Take a look at what the prophet Amos writes in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Verse 25, verse, uh, verses 21 through 24, chapter 5. And remember, this is the prophet Amos actually speaking the words of God. This is what God thinks about it. The New International Version puts it like this. God says, I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your hearts, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Now I want you to look at something else. This is the message. This is a translation from the Message Bible, which is kind of a more, uses more of a modern type of language in translating the Bible. It's kind of a paraphrased Bible. But I think that this, I know this is a little bit hard for you guys to read. Um, that's my fault, so I'll take the blame for it. But I'll read it to you. I think this particular translation does a much better job driving home what God is saying, driving home what the prophet Amos is saying in particular verses as it applies to our modern church. Okay, I'm going to read that to you. This is how the message translates, Amos 5, 21, 24. It says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I am fed up with your conferences, and I am fed up with your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans, and your goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and your image-making. I've had all that I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? And here it is. I want justice. I want oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want, and that is all that I want. You know, we could talk about Bible interpretation all day long, and y'all know that I enjoy discussing that. But I don't think God's mentioning a whole lot of words here. I don't think this is, this is too difficult for us to understand, and I don't think that God is holding back on his thoughts. God sees through our hypocrisy, and God sees through our pretentiousness. I think that's a great way to translate that word, by the way, because I think that's what it's all about right there, that word pretentious, your pretentiousness. What does it mean to be pretentious? What does it mean? are pretentious. It means pompous. It means artificial. It means flashy. It means showy. Does God want us to meet together? Yes, of course God wants us to meet together. Does God want us to worship together? Yes, absolutely. Of course God wants us to worship together. When we get together to worship, does God want us to give him all, our all, as we engage in these things? 100%. It's one of the things that I admire the most about our worship leader, Kevin is I know that everything that he does up here, every word that flows out of his mouth, whether he's singing or whether he's speaking it, he is directing it right at God. 
That's the opposite of pretentiousness. Does God want us to study together? Does he want us to exchange ideas, exercise stewardship, giving, using whatever means, whatever resources, whatever avenues that we have at our disposal to communicate his message? Yes, 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 and yes. That's not what these scriptures are talking about. These scriptures are telling us about a very, very specific problem and a very, very specific practice. People who were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, going back to that pretentiousness, doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Now here it is. While simultaneously and severely neglecting God's mandate to pursue justice for the most vulnerable in society. Putting on a show and conveniently forgetting about the most simple mandate of God. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like an overflowing stream. Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. I love this translation again. That is all that I want. That word all is there for a reason. It's emphasized there for a reason. It's all I want. It's not a side note. It's not a side message. It is the message. So what does that mean, Jerry? What does this word justice mean? Let's talk about that. I want to define that for you real quick. I'll, I'll give you the most concise definition that I can possibly come up with. And this is from a biblical, scriptural standpoint. This is the simplest way to understand what biblical justice is all about. Nice, concise definition. Justice, call it biblical justice, is the pursuit of a society that cares for and supports the vulnerable and the disadvantaged, period. Now, I know that we talk about this idea of justice in different contexts outside of the church. I think probably more frequently than not when we talk about this idea of justice, it's about somebody getting what they deserve, so to speak. We think, we think in terms of the criminal justice system a lot. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical justice. A more accurate way would just to say be fairness. Fairness. Justice in the biblical sense is the pursuit of a society that cares for and supports its most vulnerable and its most disadvantaged church. It is, this, is why, this is why this bothers me so much. This is why this, this, this frustrates me to no end. You cannot read Scripture. You cannot read the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 20 or whatever the last chapter is in Revelation, somewhere in that area cannot read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and not recognize that God is deeply, not just deeply, primarily concerned with the plight of the vulnerable, the disadvantaged, the oppressed, the marginalized. I couldn't count them. I don't know how many scriptures in the Bible pertain to these types of ideas. I would say dozens. That, that's probably not accurate. It's probably hundreds. I'd like to research that at some point, but I'd uh, just know that it's a lot. <laughs> it's impossible to read the Bible and not understand this. I'm, I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. Just a couple. These are just the tip of the iceberg 
Earlier this week, I, I, uh, I posted this particular scripture onto, my, onto our Facebook page. It comes out of Zechari- the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10 reads these words. Once again, this is not somebody else saying this is the word of God. This is the word of God being talked to us, being brought to us through the prophet. The word of the Lord, not the word of Jerry, by the way. I didn't say it. Get mad at me all you want, but I didn't say it. This is God talking. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy. Show compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Look at that semicolon up there. Right there in the third line where it says, administer true justice. That means I'm about to tell you what true justice is. And he actually defines it. Showing mercy and compassion to one another. Here's another scripture. Psalm 46, which also happens to be the psalm reading for for this particular Sunday in the church. But the author of Psalm 146 praises God for being a God who pursues justice and who supports the disadvantaged. Here's what he writes in Psalm 146. He says, God, that's who he is, by the way, he gives justice to the oppressed, and he gives food to the hungry, and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans. He cares for the widows. But he frustrates the plans of the wicked. Let me talk to you about that word wicked for just a second. And this is, this is a side note. The word, the word wicked that we find in the Bible, in the Old Testament anyway, that's a Hebrew word. And uh, the, uh, it's, it's, it's the word rasha or rasha, which is basically the idea of the word righteous. Now, again, from a scriptural sense, from a biblical sense, to be righteous is not a bunch of outward stuff. It may, it may, it may come out outwardly in our behavior and our words, those types of things. But, uh, but, but, but to be righteous basically means to live in conformity with the character of God. Now, we spent a long time in recent weeks talking about the character of God, the character of Jesus. So to be righteous basically means to have a heart of Jesus and to live into, and to live into conformity with that character. To be wicked is the absolute opposite of that. To be wicked is to live in defiance of that character. The wicked are people who are completely selfish and self-centered. They're people who seek their own way of life. They're self-reliant. They're self-serving. They're unjust very often. And they're arrogant. Like so many things in our spiritual lives, to be wicked is a matter of the heart. Not a matter of what I do outwardly. Not a matter of the words that come out of my mouth necessarily although a good heart will certainly reflect those things. It's a condition of the heart. We can sit our rear ends in the church pew for 40 years and be the most wicked person in the world because our hearts are not in line with the character of God. We need to think about that when we start attaching these words wicked and righteous to people's outward behavior. So that's just a side note. One more example of the idea of justice comes from the New Testament that I want to talk, that I want to show you, and uh, it specifically comes from Luke 11. And in this scene, Jesus is dining; he's, he's eating with the Pharisees. He's eating; he's eating with a group of religious people. 
And during that meal, he interrupts uh, whatever's going on, and he starts condemning these folks. He actually lays out several, several condemnations for this group. And one of those condemnations, and once again, this is coming from the message translation because it's just got some, some punch to it. This is what Jesus says in the middle of that conversation. He says, I've had it with you. You are hopeless frauds. You keep meticulous account books. You tithe on every nickel and every dime you get. Good for you. But you manage to find holes for getting around the basic matters of justice and God's love. Bookkeeping's commendable, but the basics are required. There's so much stuff that we could unpack from that. We ain't got the time to do it, folks. The basics. The basics. Look at that word. The basics. The basic matters of the faith. Exercising justice for the marginalized, for the vulnerable. Church, it's not optional. It's required. Not only is it required, it's Christianity 101. And we all know this. The basics. It's the fundamentals of our faith and it's the fundamentals of our practice. We need to ask ourselves, how many loopholes do we find? How many loopholes do we find to justify avoiding our justice imperative from God? Our call from God to do everything that we can, whenever we can, whatever we can, to serve and to advocate for the marginalized, the disadvantaged, those on the fringes of society. Why don't we do this? Why don't, why don't we have such a hard time doing this sometimes? Because it's hard work, for one thing. This isn't easy work. Brother Wayne Reese recently, <clears throat> we were talking about the idea of Christian love in our prayer meet, our last prayer meeting. And uh, Wayne wanted me to define that. You know, how do, we, how do we really define what Christian love is, Brother Jerry? And uh, I couldn't tell him at the time. I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew what I wanted to say, but, I, but the words couldn't come out of my mouth. But we have talked about it here at Bemis before on a Sunday. Love is actually just being sold out to people. It's abandoning all sense selfishness, all sense of self-seeking and it is a this is the Christian idea of love you define love however you want to define it this is how we define it scripturally and as Christians it is utter devotion to people relentless utter devotion to people relentless advocacy to people being in relentless rugged commitment to our relationships with one another whether we like them or not that's what Christian love is all about. A rugged commitment to people through thick and thin. So yeah, why do we not do, want to do justice work a lot of times? Because it ain't easy. And it ain't comfortable. It's hard. It's difficult to get involved with people's personal lives. It's difficult to dig deep and to get down and dirty with people who are in bad situations. Who are in uncomfortable situations. People who make us feel uncomfortable. That ain't the way Jesus showed love if y'all didn't know that. Jesus got down and Jesus got dirty with people. Jesus ministered to the people that most of us would like to avoid most of the time. And he got chastised for it. He got beat up for it. But guess what? He's Jesus and we're not. Jesus defined what love is. The Bible and God defined to us what justice is. I know it's been a long day, but I want to end by telling you another, another story from Scripture to drive this point home. Because I, I, th I think this story is one of the best examples 
that we find in Scripture about how serious God is about us caring for and doing everything that we can to support the most vulnerable among us. And uh, for some of you folks who have been involved in church for a while, this story may come as a bit of a, as a bit of a shock to you because most of us have never heard the full version of this story. And I don't know if I've, if I've told you guys this, if I've preached on this before. If, if not, yeah, it's just one of those that you know, really can't be repeated enough. Over, uh, over in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, there's this story about this geographic location, this town by the name of Sodom. And in that story, I'll give you the brief version. <clears throat> God basically looks down. He says he can't find a single righteous person in that city. We go back to that word righteous. Hearts that are conformed to the character of God. But God says he, could, he can't find a single uh, righteous person in that city, so he's going to destroy it. So we fast forward a little bit, and uh, the Bible's not really very specific about why, other than he couldn't find a righteous person. Now what happens before y'all start, before y'all start judging me, because I'm coming to that part, y'all who have been in the church for a while. <laughs> right, before, right before that city is destroyed, there's an incident of sexual sin that occurs in that story. So, for years, ever since I was a kid, probably ever since y'all were kids, I've been told that God specifically destroyed that city because of that particular sexual sin. We got any kids in here? Any kids? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on it. <laughs> So we've all been told that, right? Folks who have been in the church for a long time, this is why God destroyed Sodom, because this particular sexual sin was going on, right? Help me out. Raise your hands. Give me a head nod. Y'all have been told that story, right? Here's the problem with that story, and I'm not saying that's not a reason, so don't go home and say that I said something I didn't say. I'm not saying that's not part of the reason. The fact of the matter is, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does give a, a, a narrative of this particular thing that was going on, but it never says, not in the Genesis story, that this is why God destroyed that city. Yet I can't tell you how many preachers have stood behind a pulpit and told me, this is it. This is why God destroyed Sodom. If y'all don't know the full story, feel free to ask me afterwards. Now here's the kicker to that story. And again, I'm not saying that wasn't part of it. I don't know that. What I am saying is the Bible doesn't say that does not say that that's the reason, not in the Genesis story, that that city was destroyed. Now here's the part most of you haven't heard. The Bible does tell us why God destroyed that city. But you have to fast forward a little bit to the book of Ezekiel to find that out. And you find that out in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 through 50. It's pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Again, God doesn't mince words here. From the message translation, the system, the sin, this is why the sin of your sister Sodom was this. 
She lived with her daughters in the lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, lazy. They ignored the oppressed and the poor. They put on airs and they lived obscene lives, and you know what happened. I did away with them. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside of her doors. She was proud and committed detestable sins. So I wiped her out, as you have seen. As Paul Harvey used to say, there you have the rest of the story. God is serious about the way that we care for people, folks. How many of you ever heard this? A handful of you. But I bet the rest of you heard that other part, didn't you? Now, why don't we like to talk about this part of it? Why don't we like to talk about the fact that God himself says that he destroyed the city because they didn't give a rat's you-know-what about the poor around them? Stuff serious, y'all. Stuff serious to God should be serious to us. I ain't trying to beat nobody up. I hope y'all don't feel like that. I'm just very, very passionate about this stuff. And I want to see, I want to see Bemis and I want to see the church universal reflect what God calls us to. Not just in our personal pious lives, but in the way that we extend those lives out to the people around us. You know, and it's not an option. And uh, we don't need to make it an option any longer. This is Christianity 101. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, day, God. We praise you for the membership we've received into your church, Lord. We praise you, God, for our, our, uh, our worship team that shows up here Sunday after Sunday to uh, utilize their talents uh, to glorify you. Thank you, God, for this congregation and the love that exists in it among one another. God, we ask you, uh, we know that we fail. I fail. We all fail miserably in this area of justice and, and caring for the or the neediest and most disadvantaged around us. God, I believe you have opened up our eyes to a degree, and I'd ask that you would open them up even more. Open us, open our eyes, as I pray this morning, God, to the needs of those around us. The marginalized, the oppressed, the disadvantaged, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, all of these that you specifically call out in Scripture. For us to care for. Open our eyes to those situations and give us minds and give us hearts to be able to respond faithfully, to do our part to reflect your kingdom, to reflect your will as we serve and as we love those on the outside. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.